0: is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 12 p.m. Central Daylight Time on this day, the 15th of May 2020. This is episode 239 of Bitcoin and. Let's get right into it. Let's do that. Let's talk about a foundry. TSMC to build a $12 billion advanced semiconductor plant in Arizona with the United States government support. Catherine Shu's is writing this one for techcrunch.com. Uh, this was actually sometime yesterday. Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, the world's largest contract semiconductor foundry, said today that it plans to build an advanced chip foundry in Arizona with support from the state and the United States federal government. The announcement follows a Wall Street Journal report earlier this week that White House officials were in talks with TSMC and Intel to build foundries in the United States as part of its effort to reduce reliance on chip factories in Asia. Based in Taiwan, TSMC provides chip components for many of the world's largest semiconductor companies, and its U.S. clients include Apple and Qualcomm. The plant, scheduled to start production of chips in 2024, will enable uh, enable TSMC's American customers to fabricate their semiconductor products domestically. It will use the company's 5-nanometer technology and is expected to create 1,600 jobs and have the capacity... To produce 20,000 wafers per month. The United States China trade war, national security concerns, geopolitical unrest, and the COVID 19 pandemic have all underscored the shortfalls of relying on foundries located abroad and international supply chains. The United States government has reportedly been in talks with TSMC for months, though one sticking point for the company was the high cost of building a new foundry. TSMC Chairman Mark Liu told the New York Times in October that the project would require major subsidies, of course, because it is more expensive to operate a factory in the United States than it is in Taiwan. In today's announcement, TSMC said U.S. adoption of forward-looking investment policies To enable a globally competitive environment for a leading-edge semiconductor technology operation in the United States will be crucial to the success of this project. The company expects to spend about $12 billion between 2021 and 2029 on the project. With construction slated to begin next year, TSMC already operates a foundry in Camas, Washington, and has design centers in Austin, Texas, and San Jose, California. So, there you go. Uh, Apparently, Marty Bent's going to get his foundry maybe a little bit quicker than 10 years out. Will it have the capacity to service uh, ASIC chips? I don't know, man. They haven't said a damn thing about it. But... Hey, you know, a foundry is a foundry. So at least, you know, unless everything falls through, looks like the United States is going to get yet another foundry. All we need now is a bunch of dwarves to fabricate the magic ASIC chips out of mithril. Here's how Bitcoin sentiment changed over the halving. Oh, joy. Will Heisman's writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime this morning in spite of a lack of excitement and price. During the Bitcoin halving, community sentiment stayed positive. Welcome to the halvening, people. If you go back and look at the charts and track where the having occurred, basically it's sort of like in still waters. It's a little bit still before, it remains still after, And then the price starts going up. And I don't know why everybody thought or so so many people, people thought it was just going to be an automatic boost to 20,000. That was never going to happen. All you have to do is look at the history to have at least some semblance of, of an idea of what is going to happen this time around. Not that it's 100%, right? All models are wrong. Some of them are useful. Bitcoin sentiment held strong during the halving, despite a flash crash days prior and a lackluster show of events on the day itself. According to Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of data analytics platform, The Tie, quote, the event remains the dominant narrative for Bitcoin. Frank told Decrypt, the halving continues to be the most used word in Twitter conversations around Bitcoin and 65%. Of the 4,119 tweets over the last 24 hours mentioning the halving are positive. This is an addition to the more than one and a half thousand tweets using the hashtags Bitcoin and Bitcoin in 2020, which are both over 70% positive. Before the halving, Bitcoin sentiment had struck a yearly high. This was shortly before its climb to 10,000 on May the 7th. Nevertheless, the positivity was short-lived. Sentiment turned sour just two days before Bitcoin's big day when the price suddenly dropped. Quote, on May the 9th, as Bitcoin's price dropped by over 10%, sentiment fell to its lowest level since Bloody Thursday on March the 12th, explained Frank. Still, despite the negative connotations of a price decline, investors remained resilient, with sentiment bouncing back in a mere 24 hours. Come the day of the halving, Bitcoin experienced one of the highest numbers of unique Twitter accounts discussing the coin since June of 2019, second only to its cataclysmic crash on March the 12th. More notable, however, was Bitcoin's tweet dominance, an indicator denoting the percentage of overall cryptocurrency tweets that an individual asset accounts for. According to Frank, on May the 11th, having day, Bitcoin's tweet dominance hit its highest point since December 8th of 2017. So while the Bitcoin halving itself was less than eventful, at least sentiment continued to outpace expectations, which is more than can be said for the price. Okay, that's the end of the article. But honestly, it's not that the halving was eventful. Okay, it's just it wasn't eventful concerning price. What do I mean? Well, you you got half of the subsidy coming in. So the event is going to be miners finding out that they were not resilient enough. Either they didn't have the right miners or their revenue model was jacked up or they were spending too much money on electricity. The shakeout is probably going to be pretty freaking extreme. I mean, what was it? Wednesday, we saw a a 12% drop in the hash rate. These, it is eventful. The halving is eventful. And in lieu of all this other crap that goes on around the halving, the price remaining stable in itself is kind of an event. So, you know, you got to take this stuff uh, with a grain of salt, honestly. So, yeah, yeah, let's just leave that one there. This one is going to be written by the Daily Hodel staff or the Daily Hodel. (laughs) Yeah. You think? Uh, May the 14th, 2020. Data shows Bitcoin having sparked BTC revenue plunge and shutdowns for miners as crypto market rallies, like what I was saying just now. New on chain data is offering an early look at the impact of the Bitcoin having on miners that power the network. Immediately prior to the May 11th having event, total miner revenue topped $17 million, according to data compiled by blockchain.com, before plunging. To $7.82 million, it's not like that wasn't the plan, okay? It's not like it was a surprise, people. On May the 11th, the BTC reward for completing a block was reduced by 50% to 6.25 BTC, with revenue earned by miners instantly plunging 48%. Increased pressure on miners has forced many to fold. Alejandro De La Torre, vice president at Mining Pool Poolin, speculates that a significant number of miners who comprise as much as 30% of the entire BTC network cash rate are struggling to turn a profit, largely due to running their operations on old and inefficient equipment like Bitmain's S9 miner. De La Torre writes, quote, While we expect most of these miners will shut down after the halving, it is likely that some of them have cheap enough electricity to survive in the near future chinese news outlet chain dd reports that wu tong deputy director of the cecbc blockchain special committee of the ministry of commerce expect miners to face steep competition amid higher industry consolidation quote for bitcoin mining industry about 20 to 40 percent of miners will close in the short term as the revenue calculated with the stable price is reduced in the long run with the arrival of the rainy season, the compute power will rebound and finally reach a relatively stable state. During this process, the small and medium-sized machines will inevitably shut down and industry concentration will increase. Transaction fees are also soaring, up roughly 400% since the beginning of May and reaching their highest level since July of 2019, according to BitInfo charts while miners suffer short-term pain a post-having spike in the price of bitcoin could lead to increased revenue in the long run with more participants eventually rejoining the network bitcoin is currently trading at 9618 up 6.25% in the past 24 hours and up over 14% since hitting a 7-day low of 8416 on May the 11th ethereum is up nearly 2% i don't care xrp is well, i don't give a shit According to Coin Market Cap, amid a wide crypto rally, several other leading shit coins are posting gains, and that's gonna that's gonna be it. I don't really care about your shit coinery, but again, here we, here we go. The, the whole mining thing. It's not that it's easy to forecast, but I guarantee to you, it's easier to forecast what your revenue model or how your revenue model is going to be to be impacted. Every four years, there is at least that you have a hard data point that you can look at and say, "Geez, you know, we're going to be at like uh, just a little over three Bitcoin in four years from now as the subsidy." Um, you you have that data point. It, it's almost like people were like, "Oh, wow, I'm I'm surprised that I'm only getting half the money." If you were surprised you were getting half the money, then you really don't need to be mining. But Vitalik Buterin's greatest regret over building Ethereum is apparently that it was a little too fast. This is Adriana Hamacher writing for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. She says Vitalik Buterin has a deep regret about Ethereum. <laughs> what, that's a scam chain? The 26-year-old blockchain co-founder tweeted today that he believes the platform's launch was premature. Mm-hmm the second biggest blockchain by market cap. Ethereum launched a great fanfare in 2015. Buterin has since been honored for his groundbreaking contribution to decentralization and the digital revolution. But he revealed today that had Ethereum launched just 10 months later, the defects that the development team have spent the subsequent years fixing could have been avoided. Hindsight's 2020, dude. Early design decisions, such as using hex trees as an internal data structure instead of the more common binary trees, were the main source of regret for Buterin. Another regret was using RLP, or recursive length prefix, which is a way to send information over a node. Ethereum developers dislike the format because it's not optimized and therefore inefficient. Buterin tweet, or Buterin's tweet was in response to developer Justin Drake, who had said that Ethereum 2.0 could have been ready over a year ago had developers followed the easy route to launch. Quote, we made eth too hard for ourselves, said Drake, and listed reasons including the many design iterations the new blockchain had seen and the number of clients that needed to be accommodated. Quote, we could have launched a year or two earlier the easy way. It was painful, but it was right. Our investment will pay off for decades, he said. Buterin wholeheartedly agreed with Drake, as did many ETH ads, but questions about setbacks with ETH2 have plagued the Ethereum community of, as of late. In response to a question about the launch last week, Buterin seemed to confirm an interviewer's suggestion of a July date, only to backtrack later and say he didn't hear the July part of the question. Yeah, well, two weeks, y'all. It's always going to be two weeks. So let's see what Visa's doing. This is going to be one written by Patty Baker, out of Coindesk sometime this morning. Visa patent filing would allow central banks to mint digital fiat currencies using blockchain. Never learn. Visa looks to be laying the groundwork for a future in which fiat currencies such as the U.S. dollar could be easily turned into a central bank digital currency. The California-based payments giant, which processes upwards of 100 million transactions every day on average, has filed a patent application for a process for turning physical fiat currency into newly digitized versions. The filing, which was filed with the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office in November and made public on Thursday, says the system would be able to mint digital fiat currency and keep a tally of all issuances on a blockchain managed by a central entity computer. The system would also remove physical cash from circulation. If you didn't hear that last sentence, I'll read it again. The central entity computer would also remove physical cash from circulation let that let that sink in um before i continue it should be noted that rodolfo novak has this neat little stick looks like a little usb stick um is is made by his company CoinKite. you can actually put physical or you can put uh, btc on those little sticks and uh, they can be verified just by plugging it into you know a couple of different devices that are uh that are now made to read the blockchain and compare the address on the chip against what's going on in the blockchain and verify that yes, it does indeed have something like 0.1 BTC on that chip. And at that point, you can hand that chip over to somebody for, oh, I don't know, like say a car. So good luck getting rid of physical cash. With people like Rodolfo Novak running around. So, continuing by the sound of it, newly created digital fiat would be the exact equivalent, like for like, with physical cash. The denomination and serial number would even be carried over into the new system. The patent also says some sort of trusted certificate would be required to mint the digital cash, presumably to keep issuance a tightly controlled process. Can't believe they're doing this when the when the federal when, when the Fed is printing money at unprecedented rates, but whatever. A visa doesn't give much away about what a central entity computer would be specifically, though the filing states quote, a central entity may be a central bank, which regulates a monetary supply or screws it up as the case may be. Part of its role, it seems, is to act as a monetary overseer charged with managing volumes and ensuring the value of the digital currency always remains linked to the physical fiat. The central computer would also be the only one able to generate new digital cash, the sole gatekeeper for value entering the the ecosystem That sounds like one hell of a honeypot to hit. There's no sense from the filing that other entities, public or private, would play a role in the ecosystem. Visa assumes the entity running the central computer would have the authority to take physical fiat currency out of circulation and even destroy it. It's important to stress that just because Visa has filed this patent application doesn't necessarily mean it is intent on developing a digital fiat currency system. What it does show, however, is existing electronic payment firms, ones that have done extraordinarily well in the existing legacy system, are now also exploring innovations in the realm of money. On May the 12th, Visa was also awarded a patent for a detokenization system, a means to redeem an asset locked in token format. Uh, So anyway, there you go. And that's going to do it for part one of the morning roundup. Let's do some vitals, y'all. We've got mixed uh, major indices. This is uh, out of CNBC.com forward slash markets. S and P is down a, a fraction. Nasdaq is up like almost a quarter of a point. Uh, Dow Jones is down a quarter of a percent. Uh, Foots. I mean, it's just it's blah. I, every it's just moving sideways. There's just nothing going on really in the in those markets. Uh, Bonds are mostly up, uh, although the German 10-year bond is uh, still sucking swamp water at minus 0.53% yield. The Japan Japan 10-year bond is also in negative territory. As usual, it's uh, yielding minus 0.001%. Oil had a rally, 6.17% change to the upside West Texas Intermediate is up to twenty nine point two six dollars a barrel. Uh, gold had a little bit of a rally; it was almost one percent up. It's at seventeen fifty seven and eighty cents. Let's get into what actual money looks like here. Bitcoin is at nine thousand five hundred and eleven. That's going to be our high, and our low is going to be is going to be over at Coinbase Pro at nine thousand four hundred and forty nine dollars. So pretty tight tra- trading range. Three hundred eighteen thousand, and uh, let's call it three hundred twenty thousand transactions were made in the last twenty four hours, with about thirteen thousand three hundred transactions being made on average per hour. Just a little over one million BTC have been sent around the horn in that. Uh, 24-hour period with 44,500 BTC being sent on average per hour. Average transaction value is 3.35 BTC. And whoa, the median transaction value is 0.064 BTC. That's about 600 bucks. Block times are a little high. 10 minutes and 26 seconds. 1.31 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. That's as high. I think that's higher than any uh, fee I've seen on Block since I've been doing this show. And I'm at 239 shows. Wow. Oh my God. 181.36 BTC have been taken in fees alone in the last 24 hours. Holy shit, man. We've had a 2.79% increase in hash rate We are sub 100 exahashes, people. We are at 96.0 exahashes per second. The last time nobody did anything on Bitcoin was sometime this morning, as the GitHub last commit date says. So, Ethereum is at 198, Bcash at 238, BSV at 188, Litecoin at 43 and a quarter, Ethereum Classic is at six and a half, Dogecoin holding it together at 0.0025. 31,000 transactions over the last 24 hours on the Doge network brings it in last. Litecoin has beaten Dogecoin transactions in the 24-hour period for the first time and I don't know how freaking long. But let's just see what my node has the hash rate as looking like. Let it refresh here. Uh, Come on, come on. I'm reading a daily average uh, hash rate of 108.3 exahashes per second. With a weekly average of 111.2 exahashes per second, there is a lot of transactions in the mempool. As you might imagine, there are 65,890 pending transactions. Holy shit! But at least the miners are doing their they're doing their job. They're kicking out blocks that are basically full. In the last 10 blocks, uh, definitely suggests that they are damn near full clark moody bitcoin we have it at bitcoin.clarkmoody.com forward slash dashboard lightning network we're at 915.72 btc for total capacity of the lightning network that gives us 8.69 million usd in liquidity over 6,944 nodes representing 35,500 channels Tor capacity is eking up again. We have 404.58 BTC in the Tor part of the Lightning Network. And that brings the percentage of the Tor capacity up to it all looks to me to be an all time high of 44.2%. We have lost a couple of Tor nodes. We are down to 2019 nodes for Tor. That's well, actually, let, let me I'm going to uh, look at this mempool section here on Clark Moody Bitcoin before I go um it's saying also that there's there's 60 about 65 66000 transactions that are pending uh it looks like the mempool size is 68.5 megabytes we have 69 blocks to clear so there are 69 blocks waiting just waiting waiting to be uh validated in the in the bitcoin network The pending fee's value is about $100,000. That's about 10.48 BTC. It's been 33 minutes since the last block was mined. That's going to do it for vitals. Not your keys. Not your Bitcoin. Binance freezes crypto funds as hacker tries to sell stolen Ethereum. Daily Hodl staff writing this for the Daily Hodl sometime yesterday, Binance is quickly responding to an alert that an address linked to the 2019 hack of crypto exchange Upbit had moved stolen Ethereum to its platform. In a tweet posted on Wednesday, Whale Alert, which tracks major crypto transactions, flagged the transfer of 137 ETH, which is valued at about $27,164 from the hacked Upbit wallet to Binance. Binance CEO Shangpeng Zhao revealed an hour later that Binance froze the stolen funds. He added that he will work with Upbit and law enforcers to investigate the incident, quote, Waiting for someone to complain on social media about us freezing funds, but fight bad actors, we must. Oh, he's just a knight in shining armor, ain't he? In November, hackers stole 342,000 ETH, worth about $50 million at the time, from Upbit's hot wallet and transferred the funds to an anonymous crypto address. The theft occurred while the South Korean exchange was moving assets between hot and cold storage. Following the theft, Zhao announced that Binance would work with Upbit and other industry players so that stolen crypto funds that make their way to the platform are immediately frozen. The hackers have moved the funds many times. In December, they successfully moved millions worth of stolen ETH to an unknown wallet. The transaction was preceded by a transfer involving just 1,001 ETH or about $150,000. Now, okay, am I for theft? No. No. I'm not for theft, but I am really, this really scary, you know, this is very worrisome for anybody who's on uh, an exchange because the road to hell is paved with good intentions and stopping thieves and their stolen money, good intention, but it leads to bullshit. And <clears throat> the bullshit that it will lead to is, you know, you're there, you are minding your own business doing your trades, and Binance seizes your funds because you called a maybe like the, I don't know, a premier or a prime minister of some European country a name on Twitter. If you think that can't happen, think again because it will happen. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Australian woman charged for running her own Bitcoin exchange. This is Robert Stevens writing for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. An Australian woman has been arrested and charged for allegedly being part of a money laundering syndicate that exchanged crypto for cash. Australian authorities have charged a woman for illegally exchanging cash for cryptocurrency, reported Australian News Channel 9 News. The 52 year old woman was arrested in a shopping center in Sydney for exchanging. 3.8 Bitcoin for $38,625, allegedly part of a money laundering syndicate that effectively ran as its own unlicensed exchange. Since 2017, the syndicate has traded over 326 Bitcoin since 2017, or about $3.1 million in today's money, claimed Detective Superintendent Matthew Kraft, the squad commander of the State Crime Command Cybercrime Squad. Quote, This is a significant quantity of Bitcoin for somebody who is not a registered digital currency exchange, he reportedly said. Following a search warrant at a local home, an additional $11,600 worth of cryptocurrency was seized, along with phones and computers. Detective Superintendent Kraft said the situation was the first of its kind in Australia that the police knew about anyway. Quote, This will be the first of many arrests I believe we will make over the coming years and you're being put on notice. Oh, my God. Oh, oh, I'm so scared. The charges against the Australian woman appear incongruent with the principles championed by cryptocurrencies that people can trade cryptocurrencies for cash without having to first register with the government. Though the benefits might be to bank the unbank, the drawback is that unregulated exchanges bank the unbankables. Oh, my God, the unbankables. People who illegally trade money online to evade authorities. It is for this reason that cryptocurrency exchanges must comply with money laundering directives and know your customer checks, whereby exchanges must keep information about their customers. Giant honeypot, in other words. In upcoming regulation, due to be enforced uh, within the next year or so, crypto exchanges must send information about customers whenever they are transferring money between exchanges called the travel rule. the regulation has crypto exchanges stumped. Do they stick to regulation to stay in business or do they stick to crypto principles? That's the end of the article, but not the end of my comments. They will stick to their business, okay? They're not in it for you they they're not. It's okay there can there can be people that are not in it for you know to, to uphold the the ethics of this entire thing. That's for other people to do, okay and it I mean, th- they would just be shut down. That's all that would happen if they were we're gonna we're gonna defend Bitcoin and all the ethics de- they have a door that authorities can hello, we're here to arrest you and throw you in jail for the rest of your freaking life. So I'm not all that pissed off at at binance or any of the other exchanges that do this kind of thing either either seize people's funds. Or, you know, do the whole know-your-customer, anti-money-laundering, you know, cert, you know, song-and-dance thing that is a giant identity honeypot, because it is. But, so what's left? Who fills the gap? We do. We fill the gap. BISC. BISC fills the gap. Anything that is decentralized fills the gap. If you think Binance or any of the other exchanges, even BitMEX is decentralized, man, dude, you're fooling yourself. Do not trust these people. And as much as I really do like Arthur Hayes, I kind of like CZ. I mean, he seems like an okay guy. Dude, they are going to stay out of jail and they are going to make money. The only way for them to do that is for them to comply. So, you know, don't get all jacked out of shape because of it. All right. That's all I'm saying. If you really need an exchange, just check out BISC, B i s k. B-I-S-Q, that's B-I-S-Q, if you want to do exchange shit, and you don't want, know your customer, at least for right now, BISC is the way out, okay, so just give them a shot. Motions fly high, as Craig Wright set to face Kleeman estate in court, oh boy, I know I shouldn't be giving this guy the time of day, but I, I need some entertainment, it's just, I'm bored to tears. Coin Telegraph's Andrew Singer is writing this one sometime this morning. Jockeying for position continues, but it looks like Cleman v. Wright is going to trial. Still, never say never as more lawsuits settle. The crypto news headline at the start of May with regard to Cleman v. Wright were mostly variations on the theme of Craig Wright's Satoshi case going to trial. The two parties appear well entrenched in their positions, and lawyers for both sides have said they expected the trial to begin As scheduled on July the 6th, 2020, in Florida. Does this mean there will be no settlement? Quote, This is not like an ordinary commercial dispute where the parties can agree. They've got a 50 50 chance of winning on ambiguous contract provisions, so they just split the difference. Jason Gottlieb. A partner in the chair of Morrison Cohen's LLP, White Collar and Regulatory Enforcement Practice Group, told Cointelegraph, adding, quote, there's a lot of money on the line, and for Dr. Wright, his reputation, it's a relatively hard case to settle. I I do believe that's probably going to be Mr. Wright, considering that he uh, plagiarized his doctoral thesis, but I'm not going to talk about that here. A settlement requires two to tango, noted Florida attorney Bradford Patrick and one of the parties here. Craig Wright is no ordinary litigant. Quote, there will be no resolution because he would rather play with fire to the end. He told Cointelegraph, still never say never, added Gottlieb. Most cases settle. Meanwhile, skirmishing continues. On May the 5th, the plaintiffs announced their intent to file a sanctions motion. And on May the 8th, they filed a motion for partial summary judgment on the defendant's affirmative defenses. What do we make of that? Given defendant rights behavior in the case, it isn't surprising that the plaintiffs might file a sanctions motion which basically punishes Wright for improper conduct, especially if they believed Wright submitted a false list of Bitcoin addresses in response to the court's order, as claimed, suggested Grant Golovson, an Illinois attorney who focuses on cryptocurrency and blockchain matters. Golovson, God, I hope I'm not butchering that too bad, told Cointelegraph, quote, This may not have much significance in terms of the ultimate outcome of the case, but to the extent that the crypto community believes strongly one way or another about the credibility of the defendant, I think this is very significant, end quote. And even if the plaintiffs do not prevail on the sanctions motion, added Gottlieb, it would remind the judge of all the bad behavior that Dr. Wright has exhibited throughout the case in the hopes of influencing any later close calls and depriving him of the benefits of any doubts, end quote. As for the plaintiff's motion for partial summary judgment on the defendant's affirmative defenses, this was made under seal due to the confidentiality order in place, so no one really knows what's in it. Asked to speculate, Gottlieb told Cointelegraph, quote, Frankly, I would expect plaintiffs to come out swinging in this summary judgment motion and possibly eliminate some or all of the affirmative defenses in the case. It is possible that they may be shooting to affirmative, affirmatively win the case on summary judgment. Quote. Also, on May 8th, Craig Wright filed a motion to exclude the opinion testimonies of five plaintiffs' expert witnesses, including Andreas Antonopoulos, A crypto speaker and author of the book Mastering Bitcoin, the motion to exclude the experts is fairly straightforward and common, according to Gottlieb. Whether a person has sufficient scientific or technical expertise to provide an opinion is up to the judge. With regard to Antonopoulos, for instance, Gottlieb believes that, quote, if his only contribution is to submit a screenshot of the Bitcoin price, then yes, I would expect he would be excluded. However, if he is providing expert testimony on the issue of how one discerns a Bitcoin price, I could see that as being relevant for expert testimony, in quote. Expert witnesses, sorry, expert witness testimony is covered under Rule 702 of the Federal Rules of Evidence and Experts' Noted Goals. And, and in addition to being qualified as an expert by knowledge, skill, experience, training, or education, a witness can only provide opinion testimony if four other criteria that ensure the expert is reliable and knowledgeable are met. All in all, a fairly high bar, according to the attorney. There are arguments to be made whether the first three witnesses fit the aforementioned criteria, which it's more difficult to assess the other two as the arguments are more nuanced. The plaintiffs are attempting to admit and admit Antonopoulos' testimony on economic damages, how much money the estate of David Kleeman is entitled to, in particular, what the price of Bitcoin was on certain dates to use as a basis to come up with that calculation. Golfson is of the opinion that, quote, since Antonopoulos is not an economist, he is not qualified as an expert by knowledge, skill, experience, training, or education to testify as what the price of Bitcoin was on a certain date and should not be permitted to offer damage-related testimony. Oh, my God, end quote. The plaintiffs are also trying to admit Antonopoulos' testimony because of certain online communications purportedly authored by Satoshi Nakamoto. This, too, might be problematic because jurors can read Nakamoto's communications uh, themselves and decide. Quote, and since Antonopoulos never met Satoshi and admittedly doesn't know who Satoshi is, his testimony about the communications is unhelpful to the jury, said Golovkin. <clears throat> Gordon Klein is the law professor whose testimony relates to the legal standards necessary for establishing an oral partnership in Florida. Gulfson observed that testimony that relates to what the law is in a given case is improper because that is the job of a court, i.e., the judge. Adding quote, as a result of Klein's, uh, opinion or Klein's opinion, not only fails to help the trier of fact to understand the evidence or to determine a fact in issue, but would likely confuse the jury as to what law should be applied, End quote. Matthew Edmund is a computer science whose forensic analysis testimony relates to whether certain purported alterations to documents are consistent with having been made by Craig Wright. A problem for the plaintiffs here might be that Edmund has no formal training as a forensic expert and is therefore not qualified as an expert by knowledge, skill, experience, training, or education on the subject of forensic analysis. In most cases, if experts are prohibited from testifying at trial, it speaks more to the fact that the plaintiff's lawyers should have hired more appropriate experts than than failings of the experts themselves, Gullsafson added, summarizing for Cointelegraph that the defense's possible arguments against the first three witnesses, including Antonopoulos, are still not clear-cut. Quote, I have no opinion as to whether the arguments will prevail. The lawsuit appears to be to belong to the rare case or rare class of civil cases where one party clashes, irrespective of litigation expenses or legal fees or even any apparent economic consequences. The protagonists in such cases are often called egoists, who have loads of money in a cor- and can afford to fight to the end, win, lose, or draw, to satisfy their own image as winners. Quote, settlement sometimes becomes unlikely because they choose to put themselves in the driver's seat on the obstacle course in the first place. They desire victory on their own terms, added Patrick, telling Cointelegraph that Wright is not likely to bury the hatchet with a settlement. Gulfson, for his part, said he would be surprised if the case actually goes to trial. Quote, but if it does, The only thing I'll be looking for is whether I've got enough popcorn stashed in the pantry to last for the duration because the clown show just never ends. I mean, God, we've got to wait till July the 6th and God only knows what's going to happen between now and then. So, and honestly, man, if they're able to, if they're able to bitch slap the first three expert witnesses from uh, Cleman's uh, team, man. Honestly, that doesn't look all that good, but what I'm just never, what I'm continuously amazed about is how the judge in this case can look at forged documents, know that they're forged and seem to not be all that pissed off. Maybe write a a little pissed off opinion or something like that. But, you know, I kind of expected Craig to sit out a few days and jail for a couple of these things that he's done during the court because you just don't waste federal court time. They they get really, really pissed off about that shit. But speaking about the pissed off dis dissness, Reddit launches Ethereum-based point system. Yeah, they're shit coining. And honestly, Reddit is the short bus of the internet and I haven't given a shit about them for years. I'm really surprised that 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 whole platform hasn't just been binned for, you know, years ago. But It's happening, so we might as well figure out what the hell's going on. Brave New Coins, Nawaz Ahmed, is writing this one sometime this morning. Reddit has announced that users will now be able to earn rewards called Community Points for creating and engaging with content on the platform. Known as the front page of the internet, (laughs) Reddit is a website that hosts a network of online communities based on people's interests. The website has just launched a new feature in limited communities called Community Points, which are a scam token on the Ethereum scam chain. Yeah, I'm I'm rewording this just a little bit to make it more appropriate. There were rumors in April that the website would launch a new blockchain-based point system. Reddit user Mago Crypto posted a screen recording of a walkthrough of a new build of the Reddit, Reddit mobile app that shows a feature with mention of community points. The frequently asked questions section of the wallet appeared to have pages on distribution, wallet backup and recovery, and blockchain. According to Reddit, Community points are a way for Redditors to earn a piece of their favorite communities. Points can be spent on premium features and are used as a measure of reputation in the community. Yeah, so if you don't want to spend money, forget your reputation, I guess. The online media giant explained that Reddit Karma provides the basis for measuring people's contribution, but the final decision is up to the community. Reddit Karma is a reward earned by users for posting popular content. Users gain karma points when their posts are upvoted and lose karma points when their posts are downvoted to a number lower than zero. The cumulative of these votes is known as the user's karma. This is part of a larger vision Reddit has to create a more decentralized social media platform, a free frontier as they have called it. The platform is currently beta testing community points through summer of 2020 to begin with two tokens, one named moons and other bricks. Will be issued to members of the subreddits Cryptocurrency and Fortnite BR. The Cryptocurrency and Fortnite BR subreddits have 1 million and 1.3 million members, respectively. I guess I'm wondering if there's a grandfather clause or if it's like if I could just join those two right now, would I get my shit coins? That's not, they're not saying. Anyway, in the post launching, Moons on the cryptocurrency subreddit, community points are described as a way for users to be rewarded for their contributions with a unit of ownership in their subreddit. Community points can be earned, tipped, won, collected, and spent on unique items within a community. Each subreddit will have its own style stylization of community points. Initially, 50 million moons will be distributed Based on karma earned in the cryptocurrency subreddits to date, the amount distributed each following month will start at 5 million and decrease by 2.5% every cycle so that the total number of moons distributed over time will approach a maximum cap of 250 million. The Fortnite BR subreddit has not specified an issuance rate for bricks. Moon's distribution schedule, oh, sorry, that's, this is the uh, they have a graph and it's named Moon's distribution schedule and it's just basically a logarithmic chart. Um, I don't give a shit because it's, <laughs> a log of a shit coin is still shit. Reddit made it clear that users have complete control over their community points as they exist on the Ethereum blockchain independently of Reddit. The community points can be viewed, spent, claimed, and stored in the vault, which is part of the Reddit app. Within the vault, users essentially create Ethereum wallets and have full control over private keys. Reddit will only have users' public addresses to check their balance and award new points. According to Reddit, quote, advanced users can use other Ethereum tools if they wish, which will be made available within the app. While in beta, the vault page on Reddit explains that the community points will be on the RinkB testnet, balances, transactions, and memberships may be reset. After the feature leaves beta, community points will be migrated to the Ethereum mainnet, point balances will be carried over But will need to be reclaimed. The development team is also encouraging people to pitch in on the effort of testing the beta by inviting security researchers to assist in finding any vulnerabilities. In a Twitter post, Brian Armstrong, the CEO and co founder of Shitbase, states this is really well executed and a model for other crypto startups to emulate for a token launch that helps bring an online community together and deliver real value. The internet finally has a native currency it's working folks jesus that should have just been the damn train wreck i'm honestly uh, i've got one for you that ain't it but honestly it should be Uh, do ask yourself do you really care about reddit open interest on cme bitcoin options is up one thousand percent so far jack martin writing this piece for coin telegraph sometime this morning CME Bitcoin options open interest has soared to 142 million in the first half of May, marking an increase of over 10 times the value at the end of last month. Open interest on Chicago Mercantile Exchange Bitcoin options has skyrocketed to uh, skyrocketed over the past few days to hit 142 million as of May the 15th, according to data from market analytics company Skew. This represents a gain of over 1,000 percent from just 12 million of open interest at the end of April. CME saw an initial spike in options volume on May the 5th and May the 6th with both days pushing towards 10 million. However, this dropped off to the more usual 1 million on Friday, May the 8th, the last trading day before the Bitcoin halving. Options volume on the day of the halving, May 11th, kept back up or leapt back up to 17 million and each of the three days since, then has seen volume of between 30 and $40 million U.S. This brought the open interest to $142 million U.S. at close of business yesterday, over 10 times the amount registered at the end of April. As Cointelegraph reported, institutional investment in Bitcoin has continued to rise in the buildup and following Monday's Bitcoin halving. Notably, companies such as Grayscale and Fidelity Digital have reported increased interest and in hedge fund manager Paul Tudor Jones recently claimed that almost 2% of his equity is held in Bitcoin. Open interest in CME Bitcoin futures also hit an all-time high last week. So that's going to do it for the snooze you can use, man. Daily Trainwrecked is brought to you by Stephen Cole, or at S-T-H-E-N-C. Well, it's not directly him. It's a reply to this particular tweet, which in and of itself is kind of a trainwreck, but not for Stephen, for Iran, because he says, Recently, Iran moved $500 million in gold out of Venezuela, a risky and costly operation with a load of nine tons spread across multiple jets. Yesterday, a single Bitcoin transaction moved $750 million. It took a few minutes and cost $2.75 in fees. (laughs) More on this a little bit later. Here's the train wreck. Alex Shalom replies with this little nugget. Bitcoin is the beast system and known for exploitation of women and children, making it easier to access digital currency is perverted at best. And evil. Ain't nobody got time for that. No shit, man. What, the beast system, known for exploitation of women and children. I wonder what was going on before eleven years ago, because apparently, it, oh. The world never had drugs and never had assassination markets It never had exploitation of people, whether sexually or just slave labor. No, none of this occurred until Bitcoin. not nobody was trading uh British pound sterling euros uh United States dollars, Canadian dollars, Australian dollars, the reals nobody no, no fiat currency was ever used bro. I mean the B system at this point. Honestly, it's kind of like the U.S. dollar. Don't get me wrong. I love America. I love Americans. But, dude, the Federal Reserve is, you want to talk about a beast system? That son of a bitch needs to be put down, honestly. So, now that the train wreck is over there in the corner, in the smoldering pile that it is, let's just look at this statement from Stephen Cole. $500 million in gold was moved in nine tons. Okay, so a ton is 2,000 pounds. Uh, that's 18,000 pounds of gold, and it had to be put on multiple jets. Again, think about the children. <laughs> how much CO2 are you burning to get that shit uh, where, back to Iran? I mean, how many pounds of jet fuel did you use? How much security did you have to set up? How much did you have to pay all those people? How much gas did you burn getting the shit out of the vault to the airfield? How much gas will you have to burn when, you're, when you've unloaded the gold? You see where I'm going with this. And yet $750 million was settled in a couple of minutes for a, a couple of bucks. Come on. And what does $500 million actually buy you? You can't even build a skyscraper in Manhattan you know, plus like 40, you know, 40 stories, 30 stories. Plus you can't build that shit for anything under like a billion dollars at this point. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe you can, but I'm just, what I'm trying to to illustrate here is that in the grand scheme of things, $500 million is not that much money. It's not, it's a, especially nowadays, it's like a drop in the bucket and it, took several jets and the movement of 18,000 pounds of metal to effect. And they were just moving it. They're just getting it out of Venezuela, which which I would too. Venezuela, I I wouldn't want to be keeping my gold in something like Argentina, Venezuela, or even Brazil, for that matter. I wouldn't trust those sons of bitches with nothing. So yeah, I would definitely get my gold out. But honestly, guys, $500 For 18,000 pounds of metal across several jets? Dude, honestly, just use (laughs) Bitcoin. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. who has got a really good one this time. A man walks into a bar. Lucky bastard. Oh, man, dude. Should I do it? Yeah, I'll have to go ahead and do it. Yeah. yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah, so apparently as the country starts, you know, reawakening from its, like, I don't know, government-induced slumber, because honestly, I think this entire thing was blown completely out of freaking proportion. Uh, sorry, if you don't if you don't agree, that's fine. That's your business, man. But, dude, the fallout from all this... Is going to be stupendous and we're not even, we're, I mean, the fallout's going to be like start coming down the pipe in, in waves, you know, months from now is when we're really going to see the damage that was done here. But as, uh, the government, as the, uh, company or com- company, as the country wakes up, people are starting to go back out a little bit. Um, I probably wouldn't, you know, just my personal, the way that I would, you know, c- uh, comport myself here is. I probably wouldn't go into a bar that was completely freaking packed with people. I mean, I can wait. Besides, man, dude, the amount of money that my family has saved by not going out to eat. I mean, even just the little bit of out to eating that we did, it's insane. Hell, I just, I don't really want to give anybody any of my money anymore ever again. Whether it's Bitcoin or, or dirty, filthy ass fiat. i just saying, bro. But anyway, yeah, lucky bastard got to go to a bar. You know what, what I would consider myself lucky? If I could go get a fucking haircut. I'm, I ain't lying. I'm so sick of my hair right now. I, I used to have really long hair because back in the day I was in a band, man. No, I don't want long hair again. It's hot. It takes, you know, for it, it takes forever to wash. It takes forever to dry. It's always getting tangled. And I don't want long hair. I want a haircut. I don't want a bar. I don't want a restaurant. I want a barber shop to open. That's what that's what I would be considering myself a lucky bastard over, is if I could just go get a freaking haircut. Okay. Uh chickens. Chickens are doing good. Trees, my eight fruit trees that I've put out, they look like they're doing pretty good. So since they've been in for like, you know, over two weeks now. I think I'm gonna call it and say that they are out of the woods as far as transplant shock. Now that doesn't mean that, like, if I get hit by a tornado or something like that, that they would not be ripped out of the ground on a high wind event because that can happen. That they need one full season to get their roots to penetrate out of the root zone that they were in because they were encased in you know plastic, you know, five gallon pots or whatever. They need to be able to they have the entire summer to be able to penetrate from that standpoint into the native ground. And once they start doing that, I'll be feel a lot, a whole lot better about whether or not they fall over in a windstorm. But that's like sort of where I'm at right now is now I'm worried about a little bit of uh fertility program for them. So I'm going, you know, every once in a while I'll find like a chicken turd out there and then I'll throw the chicken turd on there. Uh, like right, not right by the, uh, uh, oh God, what am I trying to say? Not right by the trunk, but a little bit away. But only a couple because chicken poop is what's known as a hot fertilizer. It really, if you're going to use like, uh, you know, chicken droppings as a fertilizer for like, you know, vegetables or, or anything like that. It really needs to be composted first because there's a lot of nitrogen. And if you put too much nitrogen on any plant, whether they're brand new or established, it'll kill their ass. So every once in a while, I'll kick like just one chicken turd over into, you know, on top of one of these, you know, next to the trunk and water it down. And I think that that's going to be, you know, enough because I don't want to, I don't want them to get into a fertility shock. But uh, if, uh, depending on where you are in the United States, you are running out of time to plant trees. Your window is closing. And always remember, and this isn't, this isn't anything I invented, I, I don't know who the hell first said this, but the saying goes, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is right now because they take so damn long to grow. If you are even thinking about having trees, if you do it in the middle of summer, they're going to go into shock and you're going to waste your money because those trees are going to die. All right. So if you want them, get them before May ends. And if you're in Texas, your window is basically already closed. So we're looking into northern latitudes at this point, getting into Wisconsin, you know, Colorado, uh, stuff like that. Your window could still be open. But here in Texas, I would literally not plant a tree right now. I'm, I'm glad that I did it two weeks ago. So. Anyway, uh, that with that, that brings to the close episode 239 of Bitcoin and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.